Psalm 33. I'm going to read from verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A, vain, a horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. What then, Christian, is your testimony looking back? And what is your confidence looking forward? Why have we reached this evening in the state which we have? What is the, the reality that underpins our history and our hope for the future? In verse 18 of Psalm 33, we are given a description of a certain people, those who fear the Lord, those who hope in his mercy. We're given an assurance that the eye of the Lord is upon those who answer that description. And we're told to consider this well. And it is the answer to the question, how have we arrived as we have arrived this evening? Why is it that we can look back with thanksgiving? Why is it that we can look forward with confidence? Why is it that tonight we can testify of the goodness of God toward us? Well, first of all, notice the kind of people who have this testimony. It is those who fear the Lord, those who hope in his mercy. Now, these are not two different groups of people. These are two ways of describing the same group of people. This is a, an overlapping description, even more than a, a parallel one. It is those who fear the Lord and those who hope in his mercy. And what is particularly precious about this is that it shows then that this fear and this hope are not contrary to one another, but actually hold together. It helps us to understand what the fear of the Lord is. It helps us to understand what it means to hope in his mercy. Those who fear the Lord then are those who are marked by a childlike fear, by a, a holy reverence and a holy restraint. Those who act constantly as before the face of the Lord their God. Does that ever help you? Either to spur you on or to hold you back? that you would not speak in the way that you have spoken if you had considered that God had his eye upon you, that you would not have acted in the way that you had acted. You wouldn't even have wished to desire in the way that you've desired had you stopped to consider that the eye of God were toward you, that your heavenly Father, who has loved you, who has blessed you, who is watching over you and who is keeping you, is aware of all the motions and intentions and affections of your heart, all the actions of your life. When we have that sense of God, when we have that consciousness of being in his presence, we are like children who want to delight their father. 
We are like sons who want to obey our Father. We are restrained from sin and we are moved to a, a holy reverence and a proper concern for that which truly honours and glorifies God. In parallel with that, overlapping that, is to hope in the mercy of the Lord. This shows us then that this is not a slavish fear. This is not a carnal fear. This is not an unholy terror. But this is the fear of those who are hoping in divine mercy. Now you notice that we're not demanding anything of the Lord. We're not making a claim upon him based on our own merit here. But we're resting in confidence upon his loving kindness. This is his mercy, his faithful love. We are able to trust in the covenant promises of God. It is the testimony then of those who come by Jesus Christ to God as sinners, conscious of our need, but dependent on and expectant of his divine favour. My friends, when you know God in Christ, you can come to God with a holy familiarity. When you understand that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners like us, that the Father himself has sent him, that the Lord of glory has made himself known in the person of his Son, then you can come hoping in his mercy and moved by a holy fear. So does that describe you this evening? As you sit here tonight, can you say, yes, I am a man, I am a woman who fears the Lord and hopes in the faithfulness and the loving kindness of my covenant God. <clears throat> that I live my life before God in dependence on his goodness to repenting sinners like me. That's the description of the people who are here. And an assurance is given concerning them. Something is true of those who fear the Lord and those who hope in his mercy. The eye of the Lord is on them. The eye of the Lord is on them. Now, that's moving forward from what the psalmist has already said. Go back to verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. There is nothing hidden from God's sight. He beholds everything, the outward and the inward operations of every creature that he has made. If you didn't get it from that, you can get it from verse 14. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Even if you do not fear the Lord, even if you do not hope in his mercy, God sees you. God knows all that takes place in your life. God discerns even the thoughts and intents of your heart. And if they are sinful and if they are vile and if they are contrary to his will, God notes them and God holds you accountable for them. But there is a shift in verse 18. To have the eye of the Lord upon those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, is not the, the knowledge of the living God. It is not the scrutiny of the almighty judge. It is the gaze of a concerned father on those who fear him and those who hope in his mercy. It is a look of love 
It is a look of grace. It is a look of true divine compassion upon those who fear his name and hope in his mercy. This is a gracious regard. This is a loving concern. And Christian, this is the way your God looks upon you. It is the way he has looked, is now looking and will be looking in the weeks and months that lie ahead. It is the loving gaze of a reconciled God. One who accepts you because of his son's perfect righteousness, who embraces you having made you clean through the blood of sacrifice. It is the gaze of an affectionate Father, not one who is going to disregard your continued disobedience as a child, but one whose love will never shift or shake toward you, so that in all his dealings with you, even when you continue to sin against him, is going to chastise you in love, is going to restore you in his kindness, is not going to abandon you or let you go. Wherever you are, whatever circumstances you face, however tried you may be, God is not just watching you, but watching over you. That's the shift from verses 13 and 14 to 18. God watches everyone and everything. He watches over his people. God sees all the inhabitants of the earth, but God has his eye on you and that's not at all a threat that is a promise you can imagine both can't you somebody says I've got my eye on you or a father who says off you go I've got my eye on you that's the way that the psalmist is speaking here brothers and sisters God has his eye on us we'll never be out of his reach never be away from his observation he is watching over us he has a warm a divine affection toward us. He will deliver us from death. He will keep us alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. See this in verse 19. This is the consequence of God having his eye upon them. And the, the psalmist brings these particular challenges, these particular dangers there's a danger of uh, dying. There's a danger of famine. It may be that that's the same way of talking about the same thing, a bit like the, the parallelism in verse 18. But the sense is that when there is threat, when there is trouble, when there is risk, when body and soul are endangered, it is the eye of God upon you that keeps you truly blessed, truly secure now and always. When you look back, how do you interpret what you have been through over the course of the last 12 months? That's not always easy, is it? Some of the why questions, some of the how questions. But this you can be confident about, that if you have hoped in God's mercy and lived in the holy fear of him, Whatever has taken place, the eye of God has been upon you. In the deepest, 
darkest and most distressing moments and seasons of the last 12 months, just to take a snapshot. God has never failed to regard you. Never has he lost sight of you. Never overlooked your needs. Never taken his affections away from you. Never ceased to look with an eye of fatherly affection upon you. That has been true. That is now true. And it always will be true for those who fear the Lord and who hope in his mercy. If you are entering this new year as a man, a woman, a boy or a girl who is and desires to be increasingly conscious that you live before God, to have that regulate all your decisions and actions in this world. Where will I go? How will I speak? What will I read? What will I watch? How will I work? Where will I, uh, how will I serve? And if you are hoping in his mercy, if you're resting not upon what you are and have done, but resting upon who Christ is and what Christ has done, then I can assure you of this, that every moment, day and night, winter and summer and every season in between, storms and calms, griefs and joys, sorrows and blessings, that your God will always have his eye upon you. And remember that that is not a distant, scant knowledge. That is the close gaze and the affectionate regard of a loving father. Now, why am I emphasising this? Because the psalmist does. This is an exhortation. This is an exclamation. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Why does the psalmist introduce this statement in the way that he does? Because he wants us to note it well. Because he wants us to mark it to pay close attention to it, to consider it carefully and always to keep it in mind. Perhaps we tend to project our frailties and failings onto our Heavenly Father. We can't see, maybe he can't. We don't know, maybe he doesn't. Our love fades, maybe his does. Our ignorance is profound, maybe he is not always sure. No, brothers and sisters, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. It is on those who hope in his mercy. And you and I, we need to hold fast to that. We might lose sight of it, which is why we are exhorted not to do so. The Lord has his eye upon you. You and I should fix our eyes upon him we should fix our hearts heavenward let us not doubt the loving kindness of our God if he has moved you to fear him his eye is upon you if he's given you grace to hope in his mercy to rest upon his covenant kindnesses in Christ then you have nothing to fear however you live God will be your God 
when you come to die, God will be your God. Christ will not leave you in living. Christ will not abandon you in dying. The Most High condescends to take notice of all that through which you are passing. He plans it. He purposes it. He provides for it. He guides you through it. He guards you in it. The hairs of your head are numbered. You are of more value to him than many sparrows. If one of them falls to the ground and he knows it altogether, do you think that there is a thing that will come to pass in your life, child of God, in which your Father in heaven is not immediately, intimately and affectionately concerned? Look back through the lens of that behold. As you consider what has been, and it's good for us to do so, remember that the eye of the Lord has been upon each one of us who fears his name and who hopes in his mercy. And look through the same lens as you anticipate the future. For some of you, there may be things that are close at hand. Others may be further away. For some, more definite. For some, more uh, uncertain, more possible. You know that even the things that we think are definite are indefinite, don't you? (laughs) That your plans and mine might fall to pieces before the end of the day, let alone before the end of the week. Let's not even consider the end of the year. As you sit here this evening, you might be thinking, well, we'll do this, we'll do that, we'll go to this place, we'll buy and sell and make a profit in the language of James. Whereas what we ought to say is, if God wills, we will go here or there, we will do this and that. And that's the language of the God-fearer. That's the language of the God-hoper. If God wills, I will go here or there. If God wills, I will do this or that. But whether I am here or there, whether doing this or that, of this I can be sure. The eye of my God is upon me. I have hoped in his mercy. His mercy will not fail me. I fear him with a holy and a reverent fear. I will live before him, conscious and confident that he will not leave me. Brothers and sisters, whatever lies before us, my friends, we need God's eye upon us. And it's the best thing for us. It's the happiest place for those who hope and who fear because of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.